0: So we are in a series of messages this fall looking at the way that God brings about change in the hearts of individuals or communities or even the entire world, how the Lord is at work uh, both in history and in the present, and how he really demonstrates himself to be the God of second chances who uh, takes us from a place of despair to a place of hope. And we're looking at that shift as it happens uh, both in the first four chapters of the book of Acts as well as how it happens in our own hearts and lives. And so I want you to uh, follow along with me. I'm going to be reading from the third chapter of the book of Acts, uh, verses 1 through 26, which if I'm not mistaken is... The third chapter of the book of Acts, and this is the first half of a story of John and Peter encountering a a lame man who is in front of the temple in Jerusalem, and we're going to just take a look at this passage. And there are, there are many shifts that take place in this passage. It's not just uh, from from being disabled to being healed there are many shifts that take place in this passage that i want us to look at and so if you would just follow along with me i'm going to begin in verse 1 of acts chapter 3 and i'll read through uh, verse 26 which is the end of the chapter now peter and john were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer the ninth hour and a man lame from birth was being carried And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or piety, we have made him walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac... And the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, thus he fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. Did I miss a verse? Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you, And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Kathy and I were uh, very good friends during college. We met first weekend of freshman orientation, and... I was uh I still had like a a high school girlfriend that I was dating and she did she had a high school boyfriend that she was dating and we were just friends we just kind of hit it off and um we went we ran in many of the same social circles and then later on in the college years when when I would get dumped I would go cry on her shoulder and when she would get dumped she would come and cry on my shoulder and I mean that literally in both senses and and we were just Good friends, we really enjoyed each other um, and it was somewhere around our senior year that I realized like this woman 's awesome, like a little too awesome, it kind of scared me <laughs> right and so we kind of we kind of toyed with the idea of dating, and then I ran I bravely, bravely ran away. Um, And uh, started dating someone else, and she's like, yeah, okay, whatever, it's Tom, all right? And then we graduated from college, and I I ran off to Central America to try to be a missionary for part of a school year, and that didn't really work out well. And I, I had never, how do I want to say this? I had never broken up with my previous girlfriend, but we were several countries apart, There were some letters that went back and forth, but it wasn't like, I mean, how do you do that in 1980, whatever that was. And so I get back to the States, and I go to visit Kathy. And we went back to the school that we had studied at previously and ran into my girlfriend that I'd never broken up with. (sighs) And... That didn't go well. Just didn't. I, I was totally misunderstood. <clears throat> it's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Um, so I figured, well, now I don't have a girlfriend, and Kathy's here. So let's, you know, let's talk. Let's hang out. You know. I was, I, was living, I was living in Houston, she was living in Nashville, she's, she's working in the University of Vanderbilt, or Vanderbilt University Medical Center Cancer Research Laboratory, and she picks up one of the, one of the products of some membrane, and it's, it's the company's in Houston. She calls the company, she's like, hey, are you hiring? And they're like, well, what do you do? Well, I'm, I use your products. They're like, you actually know how to use that stuff? Yes, we're hiring right? Because we don't know how to use it, but we'd love to have someone on our team that knew what to do with it. Um, So they hired her, put her in customer service, and uh, she moved to Houston. That was terrifying, right? Because I knew that I loved her. I also knew that we weren't necessarily on the same page spiritually. So I invited her to the church that I was working for and she went through the, the new members class and accepted Christ. Then there's really nothing standing between us and our future except for my fear. Right? So I bravely, bravely ran away, started dating someone else. It was great. Really, I'm that guy. I really am. Was. And walked away from the most incredible woman I'd ever met. Yeah, I did that, right? It was a proud, proud moment in my life. And by the arc of providence, I found myself back in Kathy's circle about a year later. I was done with my running. My heart had shifted literally and I knew that this was the woman I wanted to spend the rest of my life with. None of her friends knew that. All every single one of her friends were like, "Dude, no. Get away from him. He's toxic. He'll dump you again. He's done it before." Leave him. And thankfully, either a weak moment or the intervention of God or something like that, um, and and I I mean, you should ask her her side of it. Really, she knew before I did that we were supposed to be together, and then I did what I did, and she just kind of went, okay, God, I thought I had that one figured out. I did everything I was supposed to do, and he's gone. So I'm just going to turn this over to you, and whatever. I don't even know anymore. And I tell you all of that to emphasize who God is. That he truly is the God of second chances. That when we blow it, and we lose it, and we go the wrong way, he patiently waits, redirects, reorients, reworks, and brings us to where we ought to be. He gave me, it was really a third chance, but we're just going to call it a second chance, (laughs) that I didn't deserve. And it's really ultimately a testimony to his grace, his patience, his love for us. Um, the man in this story is given an incredible second chance. He's, he's given a, a really a first chance in some ways. Everything is changed, everything is shifted for him from a place of total dependence on others to a place where he is truly free to praise God in the fullness of who he now is. And he does that beautifully. Um, But what's really fascinating about this story is it's not about the lame guy. It's, It's really ultimately not about the man walks for the first time in his life. It's about the nature of God and the way that he causes these shifts to happen in human hearts that change everything. And so I want us to just sort of look through this passage at this collection of changes, these shifts that God is doing here, and just take note of those and ask ourselves the question, what is God doing here? here? What's he doing in my heart? What is the shift he wants to make, he has made, or he is making in my own life? And the first the first shift I want us to look at, or the first set of shifts I want us to look at, is this shift, this call to shift into a new understanding. A new understanding of, of who God is and what true power is, where it comes from, etc. This new understanding comes with a knowledge that there's power in a name. And I want you to think about the people involved in this story. Um, I don't know if you, if you know this or not, but God gave Moses his name. And the, the Jewish people had a way of, of notating in their alphabet the name of God. And if you've ever heard some overeducated educated talk about the, the four-letter name of God, you might have heard it called, anyone know the uh, like five-syllable word for the... Well, his, yes, his name is Yahweh, or, or something like that, Yehwah or Yahweh, or something. We don't know the vowel, how it was pronounced, because, and I'll, tell, I'll explain that in a second. But this, this word was called the tetragrammaton. There's a seminary word for you. Totally worthless in your everyday life. Um, but that little four-letter sequence of consonants was God's actual name. And it, it sort of means, like, I am, I've always been, and I always will be. That's the connotation of the name. But he actually gave Moses his name, but he also gave Moses this little list called the Ten Commandments, and one of those said, thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain. So the Jewish people collectively decided that the safest way to play that bet was to never say God's name. And so they go through their entire lives, and every time they're reading their Bible and they come to the YHWH, they just say, the Lord. right? Because that way, they could never be guilty of having some bad motive in their heart when they're reading that scripture and they've said God's name somehow in vain. They're never guilty of that, breaking that commandment, which ironically, Jesus tells us we've all broken it, right? That's, that's kind of the point. Um, so these Jewish men encounter this crippled man and they drop the name of God onto the situation. This is a massive shift in the relationship between God and his people. That Peter could just say, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up. That he was familiar enough with God to just say his name without fear. That shift from, from that place of, well, I'll get to that in a second. I I jumped one. And it's the shift in in this man who's begging for alms. So I don't know about you, but you pull up to a traffic light. There's a woman there with a cardboard sign. What do you do? You roll down the window and give her money. Your heart is way better than mine. You're way ahead of your pastor. Um, I, yeah. What are you doing? She could use that for drugs. Right, yeah. Okay, we don't know. Uh, If you're me, you just keep your eyes anywhere other than her eyes. Right, just, oh, look at that street sign. Never read that before. Hmm. And you just you don't make eye contact. She's invisible. And she's used to it. She knows she's invisible. And she's just hoping that a Laura Day will walk drive by and not a Tom Masterson. Right? And this man was fully accustomed to being completely invisible to everybody that walked by. And then Peter and John stop right in front of him, and they're like, look at me. And he's like, whoa, this is weird. Nobody's done that before. What's going on? They have his attention. He's gone from invisible to valuable. that God sees him in that place that he's been sitting every day, right outside the church, just every single day. And God finally says, I see you, and I want you in my family. And that shift is massive for that man, for us. And then, I've already mentioned this, but the shift within Peter and John from fearful to bold. They were previously afraid to use God's name and now they boldly proclaim healing in the name of God to this man. Without necessarily knowing whether he's going to get up. I don't have that kind of boldness. Like, that's, I'll pray, but I don't necessarily expect the guy to stand up. So, the shift is a realization that there's power in a name. And there's another shift in our understanding here, seen here, and that is that there is blessing available to anyone. The common understanding at the time went something like this. If you had wealth, you were obviously blessed. And God wouldn't bless someone unless they obviously deserved it. They were... so. Wealth was sort of equated with righteousness. If, if they had wealth or power or both or whatever, they were considered better. Pretty simple. We kind of still do that today. Um, and Peter says, actually, you, invisible guy, I want to take you from the place of hopeless to joyful, to completely reorient who you are and how you relate to God. And if you don't see in this little passage the echo or don't hear the echo of Jesus' voice saying, blessed are the poor, then we're not not reading it correctly. This is the heart of Jesus right here saying, this invisible, hopeless person I'm going to change everything for him, for her, for you, for me. I'm going to change everything. And so everything is changed. And this person shifts from begging to praising. It's just a beautiful image as, as he jumps up literally and cannot control his joy. And, The shifting does not end there. There's a shift in understanding and there's a shift to, into a new status with God. That his people have have been moved into a new place in their relationship with God. Um, you, you, you heard Peter's uh, fairly bold and in-your-face little sermon that he gave. Um, the irony and peter saying you denied christ guess who else denied christ peter three times in one night after he swore allegiance to jesus said i'll never i'll never bail on you dude just like uh huh let me know how that works out for you when your alarm goes off in the morning and the alarm goes off and peter goes don't Three times in one night, I denied Jesus. That guy is the one preaching to the people who also had denied Jesus. He knew what he was saying. He knew what he was doing. He knew what it meant to be a denier of Christ. And he knew that God had shifted him from a place of being a denier to being a proclaimer of Christ He went from spiritually impaired to spiritually healed, just like the lame man had gone from physically impaired to physically healed. Peter understood the shift from fear to boldness. Um, He was afraid to admit that he followed Christ just a few weeks before this. And here he is standing in front of the temple and the the rest of this story we'll get to next week, but he gets arrested for this. Peter does, and John. Um, so he's bold enough now, having seen the resurrected Christ, to say what God wants him to say. He has shifted from a Christ denier to a Christ proclaimer. And he's shifted and wants everyone listening to him to shift from the place of a Christ condemner to a Christ believer. The hardest thing that Peter has to say for us to hear in this passage, it's not a they, it's a we. He's preaching to us. We contributed to Christ's death. That's me. It's not somebody else that killed him. It was my sin that held him to the cross because he loves me and he wants to atone for that sin. But that's still my contribution. And that shift into becoming a believer is seeing that he has resurrected our hope. That he is the one who gave up his life and then overcame death for us to have hope that i won't always be this way that maybe i can be a little more like laura when i see someone that needs compassion and a little bit less like me maybe a little bit more like jesus how's that just accusing you to be a little being a little closer to him on that one than me so but Um, there is hope that I won't always be who I was. And so we shift into a new understanding, into a new status with God, a place of believing and proclaiming, and we shift into a new era. Mike, did you know that Jesus had an ERA? I thought he was a center fielder, not a pitcher. Well, why would he be a center fielder? I can't believe I'm falling for this. Why, why would he have been a center fielder, Mike? Because that's where the star plays. That's where the star plays? That? Were you a center fielder? By coincidence, I was. By coincidence, <laughs> he was. Okay. All right. Just checking. All right. What was his ERA? Zero. Yeah, his ERA was zero. Um, you can't earn your salvation, right? right? Yeah. So he paid it for us. No one earned any salvation from him. Is that working? Am I close. Preach it, brother. All right. Very good. <laughs> Mike's like, he finally used a baseball analogy. This guy is finally becoming a preacher. (laughs) All right. This new era is shifting from the era of promise through the prophets, like God will do this, to the era of fulfillment. Peter is able to say, you've seen it with your own eyes. The fulfillment of everything God has promised to his people for millennia has been right here before you. He's like, and I missed it, just like you missed it. I denied Him, just like you denied Him. But the truth is, He's here. Everything has changed. He's shifted us from those who are guilty to those who are forgiven. He wants us to repent of our sin and shift into that state of forgiveness From repentance to a time of refreshing. Where we don't have to be riddled by the guilt of our lives. The guilt that comes from our own actions or those of others. And this new era is a shift from the words of the prophets to the work of the cross. It's no longer a God who's all talk. It's a God who put His Son where His mouth was and said, I will bring you to Myself at whatever price it takes. And Jesus paid that price on the cross. And He moved us from the collection of those who live in wickedness to those who are of the restoration of God to his people. And he moved us from people worthy of destruction to people of blessing. I do not deserve the woman I live with. Don't tell her I said that. I'm just kidding. Just a joke. She knows. Yeah. Yeah. We don't deserve the God we live with. That's not what it's about. It's about love. It's about grace. It's about this shift from unworthy to loved and cherished and valued and seen and known and blessed. All that comes with what Christ has done for us. Will you pray with me? God our Father, we are the fellowship of the unworthy. And yet, because of your Son, you see us as family. As those who have been atoned for and redeemed and renewed in the life and hope of your Son and the power of his resurrection that that power would redefine who we are that your love would be at the core of our lives that we would shift from fear into the boldness of knowing that we belong to you we thank you for these truths for the ways in which your word ministers them to our hearts and we ask that you would fill us with your holy spirit so that we might be those who proclaim your son his love to others. In his name we pray, amen.